which is really cool. How many of you guys have, have been adopted or were adopted as children? Anybody in the room? We've got a couple of folks uh, in our church, adults in our church that were. Dave Reed, for one, was adopted uh, when he was a child. And then we have a couple. How many of you have adopted a child other than the Pilpace? Pilpace? Okay, that's right. You have as well. It's an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. Um, and I love how Paul, in the scripture this morning, uses adoption as this picture of what God uh, does for us um, as our Father and what he did for us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Um, interesting thing about adoption, uh, especially in the United States, is that despite moments like this uh, and despite having couples in our church who've adopted and, and um, have been adopted— it is, adoption is rare uh, per capita, and it's on the decline, which is really interesting. Uh, in 2002, 600,000 women between the ages of 18 and 44 had ever adopted a child. That's 1.1% of the United States population. That rate dropped in half to about 300,000, 0.6% of the U.S. population between 2011 and 2013. So really just 10 years, the rate dropped in half. In 2002, 1.3 million men had ever adopted a child. And again, the reason the numbers for men are higher than women is because a lot of stepdads adopt their children. So that skews the numbers a little bit. Um, but in, in 2002, 1.3 million men had ever adopted a child. That's 2% of the American population. That rate also dropped to nearly half to about 700,000, 1.3% between 2011 and 2013. Strikingly, despite those numbers, the United States leads the world in adoptions. Second is UK, third is France, and fourth is Spain. Interestingly enough, all of those countries are free and built on Christian principles countries in the world that don't follow Christianity or don't have a Christian culture in its subculture don't adopt kids. They do other things with them. Uh, in 2014, there were 415,000 children in foster care, and 108,000 of those were waiting to be adopted. The average age of a child in foster care waiting to be adopted was seven and a half years old, and the average age of children in foster care being adopted was six years old. On average, a child will spend 32.3 months in foster care awaiting adoption. Almost three years. About 55% of these children have had three or more placements with foster care families, and 33% of them have changed elementary schools six or more times, losing relationships and falling behind educationally. I, wanna, I wanted to share that with you today for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I, I do want to highlight adoption and foster care and caring for children as part of our talk, but it's such a beautiful picture then of what Luke read out of Galatians this morning. Last week was Mother's Day, uh, and my mom came and talked about the importance of mothering, and she talked as part of, you know, half of her talk was about the importance of mothering not just your own children, not just children that are born to you. And of course, she grew up in a family where children were taken in, uh, and then growing up, one of the things that I'm very thankful for in my 
childhood was the fact that my parents had open doors at their house. We had people in our house. We had people that lived with us. Uh, we had kids and, and young adults that we took in to give them a space to be and a place to belong for the majority of my childhood. Um, I really enjoyed my bunk bed with my brother because we went in and out of those bunk beds when we had folks in the house. And, you know, people, I think our culture nowadays sees that as an intrusion. My family, it was never an intrusion in our family. It was just something we did. Um, for two reasons. One, because they needed it. And two, because it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what God has done and is doing for us and, and for uh, the church. The, the idea of choosing to be a parent and then taking a child that was not born to you a stranger, is compelling. Um, what's interesting, and I didn't put all these stats together for you, but I challenge you to go look at them. There are several organizations that track adoption statistics. On average, kids who have been adopted are better adjusted. They have higher education rates. They graduate from high school at a higher rate. They tend to have two, two parents more involved in their lives uh, by and large, and that's because uh, most adoptions are uh, made to two-parent homes. There are single parents who adopt, but most adoptions in the United States by a wide margin are two-parent homes. So not only is adoption a good thing to do, it is a redeeming thing. It's a thing that actually pulls children out of a situation where they may have very little chance and opportunity and puts them in a situation where they have tremendous chance and opportunity, and they respond. And they respond in a, in a big way. I would challenge you this week to go and take a look uh, at, some of those, at some of those numbers. Um, I think one, one more interesting stat is that despite the fact that only basically 2% of Americans have ever adopted a child, 37% have considered it. So what's the 35% gap? I, I'm not up here to promote adoption. I'm not up here to uh, tell you that you should adopt. What I want to show you today as we go through Scripture, first of all, is, is how much God loves us and what He's done for us and what that means for us and how we can make that a part of who we are. But I also would like to put a bug in your ear, uh, sort of like we did last week, and just say, hey, maybe you've got an opportunity to, to reach out and parent a child uh, that's not your own, whether it's through something like Scooter Scott, uh, which is where we work with kids uh, all the time in many different ways, uh, or whether it's through a uh, foster care system. Uh, my partner Tom is a foster parent right now um, and just doing a terrific job, and it's been impactful uh, on his family. So whether it's through uh, reaching out in the community or through foster care, or through adopting a child, I would, consider, I would ask you to consider to pray about it and think about it and look, look at it. And maybe we can change those numbers so that we go from 2% people who've actually adopted and 37% considering to maybe 37% adopted. If only, this is, big, this is a big number, if only 10% more, so if we only got 10 of that 37 to adopt, there would be no children in foster care. <laughs> How crazy is that? Uh, Corey uh, did a speech for uh, one of his classes in, in college, and, and we were his audience for it because it had to be recorded and turned in because he's doing that online. And he talked about the, num uh, the number of hungry children and, and just the incremental 
difference in activity that it would take to end that problem. And it's staggeringly low about what people would have to do just incrementally. We're talking about less than $10 for most households. If, less, if all the households in the U.S. gave less than 10 bucks, that the problem worldwide is over in terms of uh, childhood hunger. It's the same thing with adoption. If, if we would just get outside of our box a little bit more uh, and look at the world around us, it, it, it makes a big difference. The, the, the principle and foundation of adoption is not a human concept. It was not created by humans. Our clearest picture of adoption doesn't come from videos like this uh, or from even the people that are in our midst who have adopted and have been adopted. The clearest picture comes from God. Adoption is a picture of the gospel. It's a story of grace and a story of sacrifice and a story of a love that reached into the darkness, broke the chains, and said, you are my child. This one belongs to me now. You were orphaned, you were lost, you were lonely, you were on your own, but now you are mine. That is the gospel. God could have chosen to just describe our relationship with him in terms of new birth, which he does. Obviously, the new birth that comes from trusting Christ, we are been born into the family of God. That is definitely the picture that the gospel uses. But the gospel also uses this picture of adoption as another way for God to explain to us what he's done. So let's look at what God says about spiritual adoption. First of all, adoption is costly. It's not that natural birth and pregnancy is not costly. It's certainly costly physically to the mothers. Uh, it's costly medically to uh, families and to healthcare providers and to insurance companies who are paying for the healthcare. It is definitely costly, but adoption is also very costly. Um, for, for human adoption, uh, the latest statistics I've put up on the board for you guys uh, the average total cost of a U.S. adoption that is used uh, with an adoption agency is $42,337. Um, those numbers fluctuate uh, between uh, American and international adoptions and depending on the methodology you use. So you can also do an attorney-assisted adoption that uh, avoids an adoption agency altogether, um, or you can do an international adoption uh, which uh, also is on the rise uh, and is actually a little bit less expensive, interestingly enough. The least expensive method of adoption is through foster care. Um, and that's actually down in the four digits. So it's actually under $10,000 if you adopt through, um, through being a foster parent and then uh, adopting. Um, and most of that's just because of the observation over time that gets to happen uh, with social services and all the folks that have to put eyes on on that process, it goes down. But man, this is a big number, 42,000. That's real money. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's more than many, many people, including people sitting in this room making a year. Um, so it, it is a costly prospect. But, but then there are intangible costs. There's emotional stress. There is time and waiting and anxiety and uh, flying to a place to adopt a child and not being ready and getting on the plane and flying back and going back and going back and, oh, we're not ready yet, get back on the plane. I mean, number, number of stories uh, like that that I've had with friends and, and people that we, we know. It, it is a high price, not just financially, but also 
Uh, from a physical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a mental standpoint, it is taxing. The price that God paid to adopt us is infinitely greater than any cost we will ever incur adopting a child or raising children or having children of our own. I mean, it's not even worth the comparison. There is no comparison. In our teaching from last week, Galatians 3.13 was in there, and it says this, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus paid the highest price for our adoption. And it wasn't just the cross, and obviously the cross is a tremendous price But it was stepping down out of glory into flesh and walking this earth and living this life and enduring all the things that this life brings along with it and then going to the cross. So if that wasn't bad enough of having to live here for three years and the conditions in which he lived and the persecution that he endured and then he went to the cross to adopt us, to save us from sin. His redeeming power changes our status as children of sin. Paul says in the scripture that Luke read a minute ago that we were slaves. So not only were we, we we weren't just orphans, we were slaves. We were in bondage when we were bought. Adoption is not just costly, but it actually changes our status under the law. In an American adoption or in an adoption in, in our world, in our society, adoption changes your status as belonging to this guardian to belonging to this guardian. Little Haley becomes the child of her mother legally in the eyes of the law. She is no longer viewed as a ward of the state or no longer viewed as just the child of her father. She has been adopted by her stepmother. She is that woman's child for all legal purposes. There is no difference under the law. Zero. No difference between an adopted child and a child that is born naturally. In fact, if you have a will and you have not changed your will, after you adopt a child, the law will make sure that that child is provided for. There is a provision in the statutory law of every state in the nation, including South Carolina, that provides for children who are inadvertently left out of a will or if a will is just not changed after a child comes along. And that's because the law protects that status, right? What Paul is trying to tell us is your status under the law prior to your adoption is as a sinner, as an outcast, as someone who will spend eternity without God. That's your status. If you are not in Christ, that's your status. You're a slave to sin. You are an outcast. You are outside of the law. The law says you must be dealt with in a certain way. You must be punished in a certain way. That's what the law does. It is rigid. It is without exception. Why? Because God is just and God is righteous and God is holy and his law must be obeyed. But then along comes Jesus, and our status under the law changes. Look at Galatians 4, 4, and 5 from today's reading. But when the right time came, the right time, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Have you ever let that sink in? I think too many times we view Jesus as a buddy or we view Jesus as somebody who loves us a lot and rescued us from sin, but he adopted us as his very own children. We have that status with Christ. We were the property of sin. We were the slaves of sin. And God changed our legal status in order to adopt us as his children. He had to satisfy the law, just like an American adoption. You have to satisfy the requirements of the law to adopt. I got to go through social services. I got to go to the family court. I have to get 200 people to look at my case. I have to get social workers and the whole process. I have to satisfy all of the requirements of the law to adopt. It is no difference with our spiritual adoption. All of the requirements of the law had to be satisfied. Except in this case, Jesus satisfied them. So he could adopt us as his own. We didn't have to do it. What this also tells us and what Paul is telling us is is that we must become sons and daughters legally before we can experience the full joy of being sons and daughters. The video with Haley, I love it. I mean, it's such a clear picture of this. This is her stepmother who she's already calling mom, right? She's already calling this lady mom because she calls her mom at the end. But the look on her face, the joy of being in that position changes when she realizes reading the document that she is now legally her daughter, right? So beforehand, she looks to be fairly comfortable and everything's fine, but now she makes the realization mid-sentence, wait a minute, I'm her daughter now. And then her joy is immeasurable, right? She had to become legally the daughter before she could experience fully the joy of being the daughter, right? That's what adoption is. We see this all the time with the Scooter Scott kids. They enjoy, at a time, they can enjoy being in in what we're doing for them. And when we're ministering to them or when we're spending time with them or taking them to do something fun, they can enjoy that in the moment. And they do. And some of them, I do believe, love us. Um, and they believe, they know that we love them. But there's a break. And they got to go back to that awful situation that they're in. And then maybe we'll get them back, and maybe we won't. Maybe we'll see them again, and maybe we won't. So that joy is temporary. That joy, we're just sort of, we can just play around the edges of it because I can't take them. And Gil and Jeff and I have talked about this. I've talked about this with others. I mean, you just want to go and say, look, I'm going to take this one with me. Okay, she's going with me. And, you know, you you guys, you blew it. All right, you guys aren't doing it anymore. I don't care what the state says. We're going to take her. We're going to raise her. We're going to love her. She's going to, we're going to love her like our own. And we want to do that all the time. But I can't because I have to satisfy the law. Right? Jesus did that for us. Adoption infuses the bond and the spirit of family. It injects that into a situation where there's not one and maybe not hope of one. 
Look at Galatians three twenty six through 28. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all family. Before you knew Christ, you didn't have a family. And now, in Christ, you can experience the joy of having an eternal family. Not bound together by blood, and not bound together by inheritance, and not bound together by creed. You are bound together by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and his adoption of you as children. 4 through 6, verse 6 says, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Abba. That's not a band. It is a band. That's not the band we're talking about here. It's kind of interesting. God does not leave us in limbo when he takes us in. One of the great misconceptions about adoption is that adopted kids are treated differently than birth children. Although that does happen. But it's rare. It's very rare. God doesn't leave us in this place of, oh, wait a minute, Cinderella, you're, you're adopted. You're over here. I'm going to take care of the stepsisters over here. You stay over there in the, the basement and with the living with the mice that sing and stuff. And we're going to treat the stepsisters over here differently. That's not what God does. When we're in the family, we in the family. Wars and all. Okay? And that's, the, that's a greater bond and a greater privilege than we can have in any human family. He does not leave us without these feelings of acceptance and love. He loves us completely, entirely, as if we never left. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, Adam messed it up years ago, thousands of years ago, blew it. And we're separated from God and we're separated from him for eternity. And we can't find that love that we want and we're always searching for it and there's this hole that's looking for it at all times. And God says, nope, I adopted you through Christ, through your faith in him, you're mine. And now we can call out to him as Abba. Well, what does Abba mean? It's an Aramaic word, which is interesting that Paul would use it here. It's the only Aramaic word in this text. The rest of it's written in Greek. Abba is an Aramaic word, and it is a word of, it's a term of endearment that would be similar to our term, daddy, or mama, not mother, or father, although mother and father can be a term of endearment. My brother, my my daughter calls me father when she's being sarcastic, and then my son has picked up on it, so now they both do it. Um, which is fun. I mean, I, I actually like it. It makes me laugh. But, but when the chips get down, it's not father, it's daddy. Right? When stuff gets tight, it's, it's daddy. When I want something, it's daddy. It's not father anymore, right? That's this term that, that, that Paul is using here. And this would be really weird. So I want to I want to try to give you a little bit more color around this. This will be really weird. When Jesus uses this term for his father in the Gospels, it is not a term that the Jews use to address God. It's not one of the, it's not one of the names of God that they use regularly. 
to address him. So when Jesus uses this term Abba to address God, that would have made a significant impression on the disciples and anybody else that would have been listening to him pray. A significant impact. That's why Paul is using that word here because he wants us to see that this is the way Jesus spoke to God. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, Abba, Father, I know that nothing is impossible for you if you can, if you will, let this cup pass from me. I do not want to go to the cross. The flesh in me does not want to endure the cross. So daddy, please, if you can do this any other way, make it so. That's this term of endearment that shows that Jesus and God are one and that he loves him and that he has this specific, intimate relationship with God as Abba. And wait a minute, Paul says here, this is crazy, then Paul says, guess what? Now you can call out to God, Abba, Father. You can have the same relationship with God that Jesus had. That's mind-blowing. And I think it's something we don't spend enough time thinking about. And we certainly don't spend enough time living there that God is my Abba. He's my daddy. Adoption gives us the privilege of going to God as daddy, just as Jesus does. Guys, that's incredible. That's the gospel. That's the best news. It's the the only news, right? All other news doesn't matter after that news. I can go to God as daddy. There is a difference between being a father and being a daddy. There is a difference between being a mother and being a mommy. He may be your father boy, but he ain't your daddy. After our legal status is changed to children, God gives us his spirit to minister to us and to remind us that we belong to him. That's one of the tasks of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's the spirit of my son. It's the spirit of me. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are continually and ministers to us and reminds us you're in the family. You're in the family. You're a child. He's your father. He's your daddy. These children of his are your brothers and sisters. You are not alone in the world. You may get isolated. You may get down. You may be depressed. But at the end of the day, God is your daddy, and these are your brothers and sisters. You are not alone if you're in Christ, ever alone in Christ. That's the gospel. That's good news. It's the best news. God gives us the joy of family as he intended. For some of us, family is a challenge. I don't know any human that family is not a challenge for them at some time or another. Some worse than others, but not in God's family. Why? Because he's the daddy. Think of how little problems we would have in our own families and in our spiritual family if we lived as if God was our daddy all the time. 
we had a fun conversation yesterday morning at our men's breakfast about uh, being disciplined by our parents and our daddies uh, when we got sideways. And we were talking about the lack of discipline that's kind of out there uh, in the world. Um, and I won't get into that this morning. That's a completely different subject matter. Um, but it is, there's this, not only there's this awe and this reverence and this healthy fear, but there's this love and, you, and there's all of these things wrapped up into this idea of who daddy is. And when I get kicked out of school or when I get suspended from school for something he didn't know I did and then what's, you know, please, Mr. Principal, listen, listen, you spank me right now. Like just, I'll run 25 laps. I'll run the stadium for two hours. Don't tell my daddy. <laughs> please. You can do whatever you want to me. Don't tell him. Because whatever you do to me is not going to be nearly as bad as what he does. Right? So there's this, there's this that side of being daddy, but then there's this idea of the love and the, I'm going to get those big arms around me at the end of that thing and say, you know what? I'm sorry that we had to do that, but I love you. The reason I did that is because I love you. Because I don't want to see you become a knucklehead. I don't want to see you become a drain on society. I don't want to see you become a husband who, who's a detriment to his wife and a detriment to his kids. That's who God is to us. And then, after all of this, as if this wasn't enough, he writes us into the will. Are you kidding me? Like, so not only do I get to be your child now, and experience what it's like to walk on this earth as Jesus did with you as my daddy. That's the privilege that's available to me if I want it. You wrote me in the will. Paul says adoption makes us heirs. It costs God everything. It changes our status under the spiritual law. We are no longer slaves to sin and slaves of our inability to follow the law. And now we get to be sons and daughters and have this bond of family with everyone else who's in Christ, no matter what their walk in life is. That's the gospel. And then I'm an heir. And, and look, I'm not just an heir of a little piece of it. He doesn't divvy it up. You get this and you get this. And wait a minute, Jesus gets this because look at all he did. We, the Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. Not only did he write us in the will, but he said everything that's Christ is yours. Look at Galatians 4, 7. Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. God has made you his heir. Look back at 3.29. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, sitting here in the United States of America, most of us in here are Gentiles. Anybody here of Jewish descent? No. All Gentiles. All right. So we're sitting here in the United States and Gentiles, and why do I care whether God's promise to Abraham is my promise and whether or not I can claim that? What difference does it make beyond singing a camp song? Father Abraham had many sons. You guys sang that one. I just hate that all y'all missed George Autry singing Father Abraham. That was the best in a blazing hot camp chapel building. Those are good times, man. 
But, but th- that's fun. But every time I sang that song, I didn't think about that God's promise to Abraham was my promise. I don't care. The song is just fun. And at some point, I'm swinging all my arms and legs, going right arm, left arm. This is hilarious, right? But it's not, I don't, I don't put inside my, my body, I don't put inside the way I live that, that God's promise to Abraham is mine. So let's look at what God promised Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Look at Genesis 17, 4 through 5. God repeats his covenant to Abraham. And he says, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Not just the nation of Israel, okay? Not just the nation of Middle Eastern descent who come from Abraham's son Ishmael or Middle Eastern descent who come from Jacob's brothers. No, that's not what we're just talking about. He says, I'll make you a father of a multitude, many, many nations. What's more, I'm changing your name It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, which means father of many. I will make you the father of many nations. This promise to Abraham, Paul says, guess what? That's yours through adoption. That you now have the inheritance that God promised to Abraham. You are the fulfillment of what God told Abraham way back there in Genesis. You're his kids. You're God's kids. And as, because of who Abraham was, you're Abraham's kids. And so he really is Father Abraham. But why is, is he Father Abraham? It's because of his faith. Hebrews says that Abraham exercised faith in God without question. We're talking about a man who put his grown son on an altar and drew back the knife to sacrifice him because God said, do it. Anybody got, anybody got that kind of faith in here? I can tell you right now, I got a son, he's 10. There's no way I've got that kind of faith. But Abraham did. And he trusted God up until the moment when he felt his deltoid tighten and he started to come down. That's how much he trusted God all the way to that moment. And God said, nope, just kidding. I know you love me now. That's Abraham's faith. Look, look at a conversation. I want to read you a conversation Jesus has in John 8 where he's talking about this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. He's talking to Jews here. They are actually descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. Not true. They've actually been in slavery about 15 times when they're having this conversation. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. 
Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Your physical, genetical, not a word, descendants of Abraham, and yet you're trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father. So he's saying, I've met Abraham. So what you guys got for that? But you are following the advice of your father, little f, the devil. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus said. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example and his faith. So, this promise that we become heirs to, this lineage of Abraham that Paul is talking about here means that we inherit what God promised Abraham, and we do that through exercising the faith that Abraham had in Christ. That faith Abraham had in God, we exercise that same faith in Christ to save us, to cleanse us, to rescue us, to make us adopted children, and then we act like it. Being a child of Abraham means participating in the inheritance promised to Abraham. Look at Romans eight seventeen. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, there's some suffering here. There's some pain. There's heartache. There's death and loss. Broken families. Broken homes. Terrible situations. But what I'm an heir to through all of that is I am an heir to God's glory. I am an heir to God's glory. I get to sit with him in his throne room if I'm in Christ. Guys, that's the gospel. That's good news. Our status does not depend on our breeding, on our heredity, on our class in society. God has made us heirs to his kingdom and his glory through his power. It's not anything we can do, have done. Couldn't control genetics, who we were born to, where we were born, what we were born with. It's through his glory and his power, and he has made that position available to all the people. I know that's shocking. Adolf Hitler could have been a child of God. Wasn't. Could have been. Because it was available to everybody. That means the playing field is level. That means that I don't have to be ashamed of anything that I am or am not if I am God's child. Because I belong to him. And he's my daddy. I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. A son or a daughter in any human family is either born to or adopted by the parents. By definition, a child can't be both. You're either a birth child or you're an adopted child. But with God, we're both born of him and then adopted by him. As if creating us wasn't enough. When we said, we don't want anything to do with you, we can do this on our own. 
He said, I'll make a way to adopt you back. That's the gospel. And guys, if that doesn't encourage your hearts this morning, if that doesn't make you a little bit lighter, then I would ask you, have a conversation with one of us today before you leave here, and we'll tell you what it looks like to accept this offer of adoption from the Lord so that you can sit down and read what he's done for you and you can throw your arms around him and say, I love you, Daddy. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Let's pray.